Blog Talk Radio. Hello there, Dr. Ross Green here, not coming to you from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, but rather from the home office today. Um, Not that I couldn't get to the office if I wanted to, but um, with all the snow we've been having, it just uh, doesn't seem necessary to drive over to the offices of Lives in the Balance. Um, It's been Quite a snowy time here in the Northeast for the last, oh, three weeks. I think the folks in Boston are getting hammered worse than we are today. But um, I don't know. We've got at least two or three feet sitting on the ground as it is. Um, that's all right. We can do the radio program from anywhere. Uh, Susie, how are you today? My co-host Susie is with us. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And you? I am doing fine. I had a wonderful trip to Norway last week and spoke in um, a few different cities there, Stavanger uh, on day one, Borgen on day two, and Oslo on days three, four, and five. And it's very nice to see people in Norway embracing the model and really interested in getting really good at it. so I hope to go back and, in fact, expect to in October. Um, Very I cool. Back to this deep white stuff here in uh, Portland, Maine, and um doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. We're due for another four to six inches a little later in the week. Fortunately, so far, the storms have timed themselves well, and my travel has not been affected, but um, we'll see if that luck holds Strange for us to have more snow on the ground here in the Northeast than you do there in the snow belt of New York, but um, I'm betting you guys aren't feeling that bad about that. Uh, no, we're we're pretty used to what we have. It's February in western New York. Yep. Well, it brings people together. How's that? <laughs> Lovely. So should we spend a little time talking about what the Pope said. That seems to be on people's minds right now, and I'm about to submit an op-ed to the New York Times, along with a colleague of mine, Dr. Joan Durant from uh, Manitoba, uh, Canada, um, with our thoughts on what the Pope said. But what do you think? A good place to start today? I don't think we have any callers yet, but if people want to comment on what the Pope said or have any other questions today or comments, the number, of all, as always, is 347-994-2981. Should we start there? Absolutely. Here we go. So the Pope, as I say in the op-ed, I'm not sure that the Pope intended to make a major policy statement here. Um, but here were his exact words as reported in BBC News Europe, but it's been quoted in many other news venues since. He said, 
One time I heard a father in a meeting with married couples say, I sometimes have to smack my children a bit, but never in the face so as not to humiliate them. How beautiful. He knows the sense of dignity. He has to punish them, but does it justly and moves on. And apparently that's all the Pope says, but a lot of people are not too pleased with the Pope, believing that he um, made a statement that condones the physical punishment of children. And there are many people who have uh, been on the receiving end of physical punishment as children and are not, uh, not enthusiastic about the Pope feeling this way. So the cool part is this is a Pope who has demonstrated his humanity on many issues um, so far and has uh, changed the Vatican's view on some things already, changed some traditional views. And so this, it seems to me, is exactly the person to um, help change something that's been wrong for a very long time. Um, And that is people believing that it's okay to hit a kid as a method of teaching kids anything. Um, So I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on that, and then I'm happy to share my thoughts on that. And um, what do you think? Well, no disrespect intended to the Pope. Um, My personal experience was uh, brought up with lots of spankings and physical punishment. That left me with no self-esteem and fear if someone got angry. The thing is, is that hitting your child doesn't teach any skills or solve problems. Collaborative and proactive solutions on the other hand, helps you make the same point with your child without physical punishment. That's why I love the model and it works. You're building a helping relationship. You're not enemies. You're not imposing your will. You're not doing something to your child. If you take the model's philosophy that children do well if they can, and if they can't, something must be getting in their way, This helps people get the right lenses on and leads to be compassionate and think to themselves, no wonder what we've been doing hasn't been working. You want to set things up so we can start helping the child. And CPS is focused on lagging skills and demands for those skills and unsolved problems. You want to understand why challenging behavior is happening in this child because behind every challenging behavior is a demand for those skills. So we need to understand what's getting in the kid's way and be responsive to it. And lastly, punishment is not effective in changing a challenging child's behavior. You never stop to think that the message will never get through. That last part was... um, from one of your earlier editions of The Explosive Child. 
I think you've covered it. For me, this is a pretty simple question. Once people understand that it's lagging skills and unsolved problems that contribute to challenging behavior, it becomes clear that punishment, whether in milder forms or physical forms, punishment doesn't teach lagging skills and punishment doesn't solve problems. And according to UNICEF, one billion children experience physical punishment regularly. As I say in the op-ed, there's been some great research that's accumulated in many fields over the last 40 to 50 years. We are better at detecting and treating cancer. We are better at preventing disease. We are able to transplant organs. Cars are safer. Airplanes are safer. We put sunscreen on children. We put them in car seats. These are things that my parents didn't do way back when. But we've also learned a lot about challenging kids. Um, And we've learned, and those are the kids who are on the receiving end of punishment and physical punishment the most. We've learned that they're lacking skills and that those lagging skills get in their way under highly predictable circumstances called unsolved problems. And we've learned that if you solve those problems with kids, not only do the problems get solved and the challenging behaviors that are associated with them subside, but you also, and this comes straight from the research that's been going on at the Child Study Center at Virginia Tech, you also teach them the skills they are lacking. What I've suggested in this op-ed, I've drawn attention to the fact that there's something in special education law called the least restrictive environment. The least restrictive environment says that a student who has a disability should have the opportunity to be educated with non-disabled peers to the greatest extent appropriate, should have access to the general education curriculum or any other program that non-disabled peers would be able to access and should be provided with supplementary aids and services necessary to achieve educational goals if placed in a setting with non-disabled peers. I'm proposing in my op-ed that there is no similar legal standard for guiding the manner in which caregivers teach children about right and wrong, but that there are proven methods for teaching kids about right and wrong that do not involve rewarding and punishing. And that these methods should be the standard of care for raising kids and that there should be, similar to the least restrictive environment, there should be the least topic response the least topic response that should be the standard for the treatment of children. If you can accomplish the mission without hitting and without punishing, that should be the standard. If there are other methodologies for accomplishing the same mission, that should be what we do. And so I hope the New York Times publishes the op-ed. If it does, that's 
great and lots of people will see it. And if it doesn't, well, now you've heard the thoughts on this radio program. I think it would be really cool if Pope would make a strong statement saying that hitting a kid is never okay, especially if there's another way to accomplish the mission that is less toxic. Any further thoughts on that, Susie? Uh, No, I think we've just about covered it. I think you might be right. Let me give our call-in number again if people want to comment on that or if people are having any thoughts or difficulties related to implementing the CPS model, 347-994-2981. In the absence of that, let us turn our attention to the email that's been waiting for us. Uh, Are we ready? Ready. My daughter is going on eight... She's in elementary school, and they are using CPS methods to try to help figure out what the triggers are that set my daughter off. However, there is not always someone there to try these methods and always assist the teacher at the times that it happens, making it hard for her. Not sure what sets my daughter off at school. She has moments at home that seem extreme, but they are not as bad as what happens at school. School is where she spends most of her day and has the most problems. The school is trying, but the teacher today implied that maybe our daughter should stay home. Not sure if they think there's a medical condition that I should have looked at. I need help before she gets kicked out of school. Well, um, I have a few thoughts on that. I'm not sure that the school is using my methods. Um, I don't use the word triggers anymore. That's not a major thing, but I use the term unsolved problems now because what I've found is that when people use the term triggers, they tend to find themselves in the heat of the moment. They tend to look at what happened just before a kid started looking bad as the cause of the kid looking bad. And what I've learned over these many years is that what causes kids to start looking bad often is not what happened just before the kids started looking bad. And yet, because that lands us in the heat of the moment, it means that we are now intervening emergently and reactively. And mom, if this email is, and it it sounds like you're not exactly sure what they're trying to do at school or what they're trying to work on, but if they're um, primarily intervening in the heat of the moment, and much of this email relates to heat of the moment, um, then they are doing the model the hard way at the very least, because as I always say, Thanks to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, we can figure out what a kid's lagging skills are ahead of time. We can figure out what problems are being caused by those lagging skills ahead of time. And we can solve those problems ahead of time. And this email suggests, which means that 99%, by the way, 
of intervention should be proactive. This email suggests that a lot of the intervention that's going on is reactive and emergent, and um, that's going to slow things way down and make it much harder for people to be effective at um, helping your daughter. So I'm hoping, Mom, that you can turn the folks at the elementary school on to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. It's right there on the Life and Balance website if they're not using it. Um, if they're intervening proactively and have already identified your daughter's lagging skills so they have the right lenses on and unsolved problems so they know what they're working on and if they've already prioritized those unsolved problems so they know what's in B and what's in C, then they're doing it exactly right. Although the fact that they're saying maybe your daughter should stay home tells me that they may not be doing it exactly right. That's not something people say when they're doing it exactly right. So maybe they got some tuning up to do. And uh, your email suggests at least that one of the tuning up pieces they need to do is to use that assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems so they can um, do all of this proactively. What are your thoughts on that, Susie? Um, well, again, we agree on everything that you said. Um, I was talking about keeping a log for a week and having a proactive plan, um, prioritizing the two or three most important difficulties. Um, for the mom to have a proactive meeting with the teacher and um, or the school guidance counselor or social worker um, and decide who is working on these problems, these unsolved problems with the child so that we have continuity. Um, and then it struck me that the school might not have the right lenses on if they're suggesting that the child stay at home. Um, also on the uh, Lives in the Balance website, is your article Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students. A copy of that might be a helpful thing for the mom to bring into school, as well as uh, your book Lost at School. I like those ideas very much. Good luck, Mom. Um, here's another. Now, this one is in the inbox, and it's possible that I've read it to myself before, but that we didn't quite get to it on the program, so I'm going to read it. But let me know if you think we've covered this one before. I don't think we have because it's in the inbox, and we're usually pretty good about knowing which ones we've covered and which ones we can't, but here we go. It says, Dear Dr. Green, when I came across your website, I felt encouraged that I was finding some answers. My challenge is that I get stuck on the problem-solving part. I'm very good at the empathy step, and it has saved me a few times in reducing the emotions. And then I find myself getting frustrated and wanting to explode. I'm especially frustrated because my husband is keeping a scorecard on me to see how long it will take me to figure this out. He obviously thinks that plan A will work better. Yes, 
many of the parenting experts use it, but it just hasn't worked for me. We both end up screaming at each other. However, the reality of life is that we have to do the right things even when they are hard or when we don't want to. Our twins are 12 and sometimes one or the other gets into a mood where nothing goes right and so she goes and gets lost in a book or video game. I know from past experience that when I impose consequences like taking away their book or iPod, they get mean and try to put consequences on me. So I get less cooperation and feel helpless in the process. I really want them to learn the life skills of monitoring their own behavior. Since just about every skill is lacking, based on the ALSIP, I hardly know where to start. There certainly are days when they seem to get it, and then they get into a mood. I believe in persevering, but it is exhausting work. Where do I start? You have not read that that before. I have not read that before. Correct. Good to know. Um, I'm glad because it's a good one, and uh, we need to cover it. Want to take that one or want me to uh, start that one off? Um, I can I can uh, try. Got to be incredibly difficult with her husband keeping a scorecard on how quickly she can solve a problem. Um, It sounds like the husband is resistant and does not have the right lenses on in terms of the uh, CPS philosophy. Um, Again, I would say that she needs to um, split the unsolved problems between the twins and keep a log and prioritize her two or three most important difficulties and then just slowly starting to um, make an appointment with the child and um, have your plan B conversations. I love it. I'm reading a few things here that are interesting. I, I, I think that one of the things you're saying is that um, if mom is getting frustrated and wanting to explode and if the empathy step is reducing the emotional part, I'm reading between the lines here, but that suggests to me that efforts at plan B are taking place in the heat of the moment. Um, And efforts at plan B should not be taking place in the heat of the moment. So they do need their list of unsolved problems so that they can know what they could potentially be working on with their kid 
and so that they can prioritize, so that they're not working on everything at once. And then the stage is set for doing proactive plan B. And if it's proactive, a lot of the emotion of the heat of the moment will be taken out just by getting out of the heat of the moment and making things proactive. So that's huge. One of the most important developments in this model over the last seven or eight years has been, and a lot of what I've done with the model over the last seven or eight years, has been um, in the interest of proactive in their efforts to solve problems with kids. Because the heat of the moment is a much tougher road to hoe. But now here's the other thing that I thought was real interesting. Um, this mom is referring to her kids getting into any mood twice. And yes, there are days when kids seem to get it and then they get into a quote-unquote mood. But I'm wondering if that's what's really going on. I'm, I'm not allergic to the idea that a kid could be moody and that the mood can vary from one day to the next. But I will say this, my usual experience is that what mom is describing as mood, and of course I have no idea because I don't know these twins and I don't know this mom, but this is just my best guess. And whenever I'm taking my best guess, I could be wrong. I'm betting that unsolved problems are coming up on certain days and not others. And on the days where the unsolved problems aren't coming up, that's when it looks like the kid gets it. And on days when the unsolved problems are coming up, that's when it looks like the kid is in a mood. Now, once again, it could be wrong, um, but that's the first thing I would look at. Do we really have moods here, or do we really just have days on which unsolved problems are coming up and other days on which the unsolved problems don't seem to be coming up. That would be an important level of analysis. And if my guess is wrong, if it really does have moods, that's something to see a qualified mental health professional about. A kid's mood truly does vary from day to day. And um, on some days, the kid can handle life's difficulties without great difficulty. And, and on those days, the kid seems to be in a good mood, but then just by mere virtue of the way the wind is blowing, not because of any unsolved problems, but apparently completely out of the blue, the kid is now in a mood. That's something to check out with somebody. Once again, I'm betting against that, but it doesn't really matter how I'm betting. It's important that the mom get a feel for that because that's an important thing to get a feel for. Um Mom, I think, is probably only going to be able to figure that out if she's got her list of unsolved problems. And so the thing that it feels to me like mom needs most, aside from empathy from us and encouragement from us, is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems so she can get a real good handle on what the unsolved problems are, figure out whether the mood is occurring independently of those unsolved problems or whether... There's such a big overlap between unsolved problems and what she's calling mood. And then decide whether she needs to see a qualified mental health professional about the moods or 
just get busy solving those problems and see if what she's calling mood didn't turn out to be mood after all, but rather unsolved problems. Hope all that makes sense. Susie, anything to add on that one before we move on to the next one? Uh, Just that I know that it's difficult when one parent has one child rearing philosophy and the other parent uh, goes a different route, but she might want to have a proactive plan B discussion with her husband (laughs) as to why he believes plan A is a better way to go. Well, and I think that if I had a spouse who was um, betting against me, when I was trying to do what I thought was the right thing for my kid, that would cause some significant friction between me and my spouse. So, you know what? I think you're totally right. It sure would be nice if she and her husband could get on the same page. Otherwise, um, boy, it just got double difficult because not only are the kids difficult, but we've got a spouse who's betting against the mom's efforts to help. That's exactly right. Ideally, they're on the same page. Um, At the very least, we've got to get rid of that scorecard. That scorecard would... uh, be extremely annoying. Yes. And here's the interesting thing. Since plan B doesn't always go so well, um, then maybe, I don't want to read too much into this, but maybe we've got her husband giving her a hard time because plan B often doesn't go well when in fact she may be making significant headway with her kid in terms of information gathering and relationship building and communicating just by doing plan B, even if the problem isn't solved yet. I always say it's still working. We just haven't arrived at the holy grail of working yet, and that is a durable solution. But, um, boy, having one's spouse uh, betting against you Seems like we just made this harder than it has to be. Yep. Here's another. We've got no callers today. I wonder if sometimes when it's snowy we get more callers, but maybe not. People, there's a lot of snow days, and maybe people are um, in the house watching their kids. Here's the next one. I'm just scratching the surface of this wonderful way of parenting with my three-year-old son. His preschool is very pro-CPS and has been working with him on this for a few months. Somehow my son has become very explosive when approached by adults. As soon as somebody tries to go near him to talk to him, he screams no and runs away. The school does the the CPS process in the heat of a conflict. So I can see why he might flee in that moment. They're having difficulty gathering information about his needs and frustration because he won't even talk or listen to them. Even at home, when there isn't an immediate conflict, when I try to talk about unsolved problems, he calmly tells me to be quiet, Mom, or stop talking. I'm not seeing how to gather information about his unmet needs when he won't let us talk to him about it. Please help me see what I and we are missing. 
By the way, and here's a very nice comment at the end, thank you for your commitment to helping kids, especially those who are struggling, for free nonetheless. As a parent wanting desperately to parent better and raise a happy, healthy child, I rarely see so many resources from such a notable person as yourself. It shows you really, truly want to help. Well, I really, truly do want to help, but thank you for that. Isn't now, that terrific? Get... Very nice. Yeah. Um, as you've noticed, I tend to move on quickly from compliments, but um, that was very nice. I guess I should stay there for a second. Okay, now we're ready to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not too good at smelling the roses. Um, here's what I'm thinking. We have got to have, I think we may be overloading this kid with adults talking to him about unsolved problems. And this is this is another downside of doing it in the heat of the moment. You end up working with the kid on everything. And the kid gets tired of being worked with on everything, and then the kid won't work with you on anything. So we've got to have our list. We've got to make sure. I was asked this question in Norway. Should we have three unsolved problems for home and three unsolved problems at school? Because I usually say the three is the limit. And my answer is I'm not tied to the number three. We've got to really take into account how many things this particular kid can work on at once across all environments. And my reading of the tea leaves here, I could be wrong, but my reading of the tea leaves here is that this kid has too many people working with him on too many things, and he's done. He's done talking. We need our list so that we can, number one, make sure that we are doing plan B proactively, but number two, make sure that we are coordinating the effort with the folks at school so that we are not overloading this kid with plan B. Isn't it nice, though, that he is, in a very nice way, letting mom know that? Be quiet, mom, or stop talking are very nice ways of letting mom know that people are talking with me too much. Now, just because the preschool is very pro-CPS doesn't mean they're doing it well. We've already got one thing that they're doing that isn't so great. If they're doing a lot of this in the heat of the moment, that isn't so great. But I have one more little picky thing to point out about this mom's email. I think we are better off if we are not talking with kids about unmet needs, but rather about their concerns about unsolved problems. Find that unmet needs can often be kind of confusing for kids, so I'm being picky here about some of the mom's mom's terminology. Um, but there are kids who can tell you what their concerns are about an unsolved problem if we're not overloading them with plan B and if we're doing this proactively kids can tell you what their concerns are but there are kids who cannot tell you what their unmet needs are if you ask me what my concerns are about the fact that there's a lot of snow for me to shovel today I can tell you what my concerns are. I don't have time to shovel it today. And to tell you the truth, I've been shoveling so much snow lately that I just do not feel like it. (laughs) Those are my concerns. But if you ask me what my unmet needs are about the snow, to tell you the truth, I don't know what my unmet needs are. I guess my unmet need, and this is the problem with asking kids about unmet needs, same for adults, is I find that when you ask kids about unmet needs, you're 
likely to get a solution out of them, not concerns. And so if you ask me about what my unmet need is related to the snow, I would tell you that my unmet need is for someone else to do the shoveling for me or for me to have a snowblower, but those are not concerns. Those are solutions. And we're not looking to get solutions on the table in the empathy step. We're looking to get concerns on the table in the empathy step. So I know it sounds a little picky, but it actually gets a little bit less picky the more you think about it. You want concerns, not unmet needs. Um, I think unmet needs are much harder for kids to tell you about. But they'll tell you what's bugging them. They'll tell you what's getting in their way. Susie, your thoughts on that one? Um, only that our son uh, responded in a much similar way um, that in the beginning we were trying to work on everything and he just um, pretty much shut down. And that's when we realized that we weren't even going to be able to work on two or three unsolved problems that we would just have perhaps one of his most challenging difficulties to work on at a time, and that worked. Boy, we sure do get some interesting emails on this program. Yeah. Um, Makes it a lot of fun. Let's um, move on here. We do have a caller now um, from area code 617. We've only got six minutes left in the program, so hopefully we can do the caller justice, but here we go. Area code 617, you're on the air. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dr. Green. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, So this is a a great um, add-on to that last question because uh, we are relatively new at, at the process and have completed the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and are attempting to implement Plan B with our eight-year-old daughter. Um, But where we're running into difficulty was we did have to narrow it down to to one or two of the lagging skills because so many were lagging. But what we're encountering difficulty with is because, let's for example, she has difficulty, we picked difficulty managing emotional response to frustration so as to think rationally and inflexible, inaccurate interpretations to work on. Because it happens so many different times a day and so many in so many different settings, we're having a hard time narrowing down which setting to help, you know, problem solve because it, it's so it's recurring and then she ends up just getting agitated over and over again. And we don't know if it's you need to be smart about which ones you pick. Um, and I was wondering if you could help us prioritize that. Got it. Well, here's the deal, and I I think we can I think we can get you fixed up in five minutes. Well. We can get you fixed up so that you can go back and do it again. We'll see how well it goes, and then you can always call back in again. But um, hopefully you haven't just checked off lagging skills. You have written in the unsolved problems that are associated with those lagging skills. And there's a bunch of – there's an audio program in the Guided Tour for Parents 
on the Live in the Balance website. That I so you just want to make sure if you haven't listened to it that you have filled out the ALSA correctly because and it, I think that I'm getting that you've got this part. You you are not only checking off lagging skills, you are also writing in the unsolved problems that are associated with those lagging skills. And the unsolved problems are specific unmet expectations. That's the best way to think of an unsolved problem. So my first question is, did you complete the alpha that way? Yes, we, we did. My husband and I did it together. Beautiful. So not only do you have a bunch of lagging skills checked off, you've got a whole bunch of unsolved problems written in. Yes? Yes. Good. Perfect. Because that's where some people um, go astray. The next place we don't want you to go astray is you're not going to prioritize by the lagging skills. You're going to prioritize by the unsolved problems. So the, the lagging skill that you've prioritized by is all well and good, but you still have to get to the level of prioritizing by unsolved problem and prioritizing by the lagging skill is an unnecessary step. Plus, the same unsolved problem could be given rise to, could be being contributed to by multiple different lagging skills. And so you really want to prioritize by unsolved problem not lagging skill. So now, now that you're going to be focused on unsolved problems while you're prioritizing, what you've got to do next is think about which unsolved problems do we want to start with. And I usually prioritize by safety. That's usually my first pass at prioritizing. I find that um, safety is a good place to start. If an unsolved problem is setting in motion safety issues, that's a good place to think of it as a high priority because it's very hard to get people to work together at solving problems so long as one or both of them is feeling unsafe. If you don't have safety issues, I'd go with frequency. Which unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes most often? But here's the good news. We don't want you to give yourself a headache over where to start. You could have just as much success by dropping a pencil on the ALSIP and starting with whatever unsolved problem the pencil landed on. It's actually more important to get started on solving problems than it is to split hairs on which unsolved problem to start with. So now you've heard my algorithm, safety, frequency, but even more important to get started. But I want to give you a chance to respond because we only got about a minute and a half left and I'm betting that you have something to add here. Go ahead. Well, I I think one of the things you said earlier in your, your answer is what's happening is that, say, for example, the difficulty managing emotional response to frustration is happening in so many different scenarios and that a number of the lagging skills are tied to that. So... Again, I just think we're having a hard time saying what lagging skill are we attaching to that. Um, and remember, and I think, you don't want to do that. Right. You, so you, I don't think that's even, where, you can't figure that out with great precision, so you shouldn't try. But I think that's the mistake we've been making before our attempts here, is that we've been trying to tie 
skills to that. So I think when I heard your answer, I think you clarified that. So I think I have enough to, to try again. Let us know how it goes. Great. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. Susie, I'm sorry I didn't give you a chance to weigh in there, but we are um, we're out of time. Well, it was a great program. Thank you, you for having what? me. Yes. I liked it very much. And you'll have to thank me for having you. You're one of the co-hosts now, Susie. Um, <laughs> so everybody's glad to have you. And um, I get compliments on you no matter where I go, including in Norway. So really? thank you. Uh, oh, yeah, they know Susie in, in Norway. On that note, we're going to call it a day. Susie, thank you. No program next week. I will be away, but we'll be back again in two weeks. Take care. Take care.